Okay. This proverb can also be understood as an encouragement to parents to avoid forcing their children into professions or trades which they have no inclination for, but to train them instead along the lines of their natural talents. This verse teaches respect for the child's individuality and vocation, but not for his self-will. Now I'm sure we've heard stories and we've heard of individuals who want to live their lives out through their children. They wanted to be something and they couldn't be it and so they're making sure that their children become what they were not able to become. This proverb discourages that. Okay, some parents say, you're going to be this and, and, and with God's help and what all I can do, you're going to be this. Uh, but that's not what this verse teaches. It teaches that uh, we are supposed to give the children, allow them to express their individuality, respect their individuality and whatever they want to be and do with their lives, as long as it doesn't go contrary to the laws of the land and the laws of God. Let them be uh, what they want to be. And so this proverb could also be a warning that if you train a child in the way that he wants himself to go, he will continue to be spoiled and self-centered. You know, some parents let, try to let the children have their own way. Oh, he, he's going to come along. Just let him do what he wants to do. He's going he's gonna to come to come to his senses. No, that's not the right way to go. What if he doesn't come to his senses? What then? The course has already been set. The mold has already been set. And you can't bend the tree after it's grown, can you? You can bend a little twig. But you cannot bend the tree after it's grown. It's too late. And so uh, the application for us with this verse then is in the course of helping our children choose the right path. Now how do we know what the right path is? Well, the word of God tells us what the right path is. And if we seek God's direction, he will, re he will reveal that path to us through his word. Okay, so the first thing we do is we, we, in helping our children is we choose the right path. We distinguish, we must distinguish conflicting paths for each child. Now, of course, we all know that all the children are not alike. You know, you have three or four children and all four, three or four are not going to be the same. They're all going to be different. Okay, my oldest son is not musically inclined. Uh, my second son is, you know, and he was the third child. He's musically inclined. I remember when he asked me, uh, when, he, when he told me he wanted to learn to play the guitar. Now, I had been through that with my daughter, the second child. She wanted to play the piano. Oh, we all excited. Bought her a piano, and she started out well. But then somewhere along the line, she wasn't interested in that no more. We still got the piano. Still have the keyboard in the attic, in storage. Nobody uses it. Okay? So when my second, my, my, my third child, my second son, says he wants to play the guitar, I say, oh yeah, we've been on this road before. You know, so I said, well, you know, he, he wants to do it, he desires to do it, I'm not just going to turn him down because his sister didn't follow through. So you can't, you can't treat them all alike. You know, I could say, no way, your sister didn't, didn't, she didn't do it? No, no. So I said, okay, I'll give you a starter guitar. Got him a starter guitar, whole shebang, everything. He went along and he, and he uh, learned to play. And now it surprised me. Didn't know you'd get that far. He learned to play. And uh, he did so well that he said, you know, 
I really want a real one now. <laughs> and so he was playing around with these websites, and he had this. He was so into this guitar. He had a uh, for his uh, for his desktop wallpaper. He had this guitar on it, you know. And go in his room, and he said, "This guitar on the on the on the uh, on the the desktop, the wallpaper." And I said to him, "I said, boy, he's really serious about this. You know, he seems to be, you know, serious." Uh, now my, my first son wanted to play the guitar too and he, I even sent him to the guy who learned to teach him to play the guitar and he went to a couple of lessons but that's as far as it got you know so we were going on a vacation to Orlando for one Christmas and I thought you know what I'll surprise him so I went online and I looked for a guitar just like the one he had on his wallpaper on his desktop and I ordered it online and I, I, I had the store I had it uh, arranged to pick it up from the store. One, one the store had a location on, in Orlando because they did worldwide stores to pick it up in Orlando, where we were going to be on vacation and spend Christmas. And uh, you can imagine the look on his face when we pulled up in the parking lot of Guitar Center. He had already gotten an idea, and I believe he had a clue. He probably had a clue uh, that it was going to happen. And uh, he went in that place and he was just like he was in heaven. I mean, he was just standing there staring at all these guitars and all these instruments. And, and that's all, they let you go into these little rooms and play all the guitars and do whatever you want to do. Boy, he was, he was like in, he was like in heaven. You know, and uh, he continued on. And you probably see him on the platform playing the guitar on, on the praise team. Uh, so you can't treat, the point is, you can't treat all of them alike. Not because one fail, you, you brand all the rest of them as, no, it's not going to work, it's going to be, it's going to be a failure. Okay, you treat them all differently because God has gifted all of them differently. Now, my last child is a singer. The second boy is a singer, and the last daughter, the last daughter is both sings. The other two, no gift of singing. Okay, but that's how God works. So the, 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 my, my son is in the praise team and he sings with the, with the band that they started and, uh, and then the last one is in sunbeams and she sings and she's always singing. Sometimes we have to tell her, be quiet, you're singing too loud. <laughs> you know, she's always singing. But you cannot treat them all alike. And that's what the proverb is, is telling us here. You need to, we need to respond to them uh, on the individual because that's how God... You see, when we don't treat them on, based on the individuality... We are denying what God has created them to be. You see, God made them that way, not they themselves. Okay, and so, in the course of helping our children uh, choose the right path, we must, we must distinguish conflicting paths for each child. Recognize the paths that they're on. It's normal to want to raise all of our children alike and to train them all alike. That's the normal inclination of a parent's heart. But that's not, that's, not, that's not the way God planned it. What this verse is implying is that parents should recognize the individualism and special strengths, strengths that God has given each child. While we should never overlook or excuse self-will, each child has a natural inclination that can be developed by or with the help of parents. Parents have a role to play in that in that part, and uh, we can better distinguish and develop the individual capabilities of each child by talking to teachers or parents or grandparents or whoever spends time with those children. You see, sometimes other individuals would be more attentive to your child than you are. 
and they will discover some things that you don't feel as if you have the time to spend to discover. And so it's good to talk to teachers and, and other individuals. Um, I remember when we were living in, in Jacksonville, uh, our oldest boy went to school, and because we homeschooled him before we left home, he was well ahead. And when we when he got and put him in the, in the public school system, they thought he was a genius. You know, they wanted to put him in a magnet school for exceptional children because he was so smart. But for us, he was normal because we we taught him uh, home normally. You know, and uh, but uh, we're talking to other parents and teachers and grandparents. They can tell you some things about your child that you probably didn't take the time to discover. And that's what the implication is here. What really hurts a child in the long run is when parents want to make them, want to make all of the choices for their child. You know, you're going to be this and no, no, don't even respond to me. This is what you're going to be. You know, uh, we can't do that. And so a parent doesn't have to watch every step their child takes when they teach them how to make decisions. When you teach them the right steps, this is the steps that you go A, B, and C. When you teach them the right steps, then you, you don't have to watch them like an eagle or a hawk, making sure they're doing the right thing every step that they take. A parents can be assured that their children will remain on the right path because they have made the right choice themselves. How? Because you've taught them how to make the right choice. You've trained them in decision making. And God was the partner that helped you do it. That's what he's implying here. And so the advice here is to train your children to choose the right way. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You can't have a better partner in doing that than God himself. Okay, verse 7. Check as to rich rule the poor. Now this is something that a lot of people uh, don't fully comprehend. And it's a fact. It is an absolute fact. Because the borrower, the, because of the power associated with money, money has a lot of power. It yields a lot of weight. We see that in political campaigns. We see that in lobbying. Uh, people uh, have these organizations that lobby to get them what they want. And all, all, all behind it is money, what they call big money. And so there's a lot of power associated with money. It can be used for good and for evil, as we've seen many, many times. More often than not, the rich use it for evil. Many times rich people use their money to do things that are contrary to the law itself, and sometimes contrary uh, to God's will and purpose. Uh, money is neutral. And we've seen some of the tremendous things that money has done in missions and, uh, and, and, and continues to do. So don't blame money itself. Money is neutral. It's how it is used. It is the power behind it. And the verse reminds us here that the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Debt is a type of oppression. Uh, when you think about it, it really is. It usually requires the payment of excessive interest rates, especially on credit cards, because it keeps the person's nose to the grindstone. Because they've got this debt, they are working themselves into the ground to pay it off. Keeps them to the ground, but it also limits their ability to take advantage of beneficial opportunities. And so the application here for us then is, a question. Is this 
proverb advising us never to borrow money. Is that what this proverb is telling us to do? Stay away from borrowing money? What do you think? Is it? You won't pay back, okay? No, it's not. It's not telling us not to borrow money. It's a warning to never get a loan without carefully examining our ability to repay it. Now, you know, a lot of people get loans and they don't even think about how they got to pay it back. Okay? They all think, well, once I get that money in my hand, I'm going to be on easy street. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the banks don't help, but they get all these advertisements going on there and they're they offering, they're calling you in. They borrow that money. I believe I told you about the guy who went to the bank one time. I was working at a royal bank and this guy came in. He's an elderly fellow. Came in and he said, I want my money. And when they checked, he had a lot of money in the bank. It was a lot of money. He'd been saving all his life. And, uh, and they said, well, sir, um, you know, uh, we can't give you all of this. Uh, it, it was a lot of money. And he says, why? It's my money. I've been saving it. I put it here. Why can't I get it? And they've been running back and forth. You know, when you, whenever you go to the bank, you get a big check to cash. You get it. The manager got to sit in, initial it. And this one has the initial it. And the next one has the initial it. You've been in all over the place. And they got you standing there. You wonder what happened. You know, well, that, that happened with this guy. And, and he's been there waiting. He says, I want my money. So they came and they said, well, you know, why don't you just take it a little at a time? He says, no, I want it all now. And so after they finally figured out this guy is not going to leave until he got all his money, they got, they sent him into the cage. You know what the cage is, right? Mm-hmm. It's that part in the bank where they deal with these huge amounts of money. It's when the armored car comes to the bank, mm-hmm. they go to the cage to collect the money or they drop off the money. When they come from the central bank, they go to the cage. Okay, whenever a teller has to get a big check, get a lot of cash, they have to go to the cage to get it because they don't have that amount of money in their, in their till. I know I didn't. I remember I had a co-worker one time, we went into, I was a teller, and we went into the, into the, cage, the vault to get our money. Uh, for the, to begin the day, we had these little tills and we had a limit that we had, would have. And he brought me in there and uh, two, they allowed two at a time because the votes on one each side of the, the vault. And uh, only two people could be in at a time, one on each side. And he stood there and he's looking. And I'm wondering, what this guy doing? He says, what is all this money doing here? And I said, you okay? <laughs> he said, why is all this money here? And it turns out the guy cracked. Because of the previous verse that we just read in Proverbs, his parents had put a lot of pressure on him to be what they wanted him to be. He didn't want to be a bank teller. He didn't want to work to the bank. His family had a business and they wanted him to be what they wanted him to be. They struggled in the carpet business and all that stuff. And they, you're not going to struggle like this. You're going to go and you're going to be a banker. And the guy had so many, he was doing so many things at one time. He, he flipped. He cracked. He went crazy. And it happened that morning. And I witnessed it. And they eventually had to let him go. But back to the story. Well, this guy, this guy, after he got all his money, they came up to the, the bank and they counted all his money out to him. And he says, okay, sir, I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, um, we trust that you would have a good day. He says, okay, put it all back. What? <laughs> Excuse me, sir? He says, put it all back. I don't need it. Since I saw all these advertisements, you'd be calling people to borrow money, borrow money. I just wanted to make sure you weren't lending them my money. <laughs> my money is still here, so put it back. <laughs> I said, boy, that was the day. I'd never seen anything like that. But we saw a lot of things as bank tellers, but that was one that, that you know took the cake. Fra- you know what fractional banking is, don't you? 
Hmm? You know what fractional banking is? What's that? They loan 10 times the amount of cash they have on hand. A loan is just a figure on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. They don't have that money. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They do fractional banking in the States. Mm -hmm. Under the Federal Reserve System, they can loan out 10 times the amount of money they have in the bank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is really bad. They don't have to have it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now, I'm not talking foolishness. That's, that's a fact. Yeah, yeah, that's a practice. That's, that's a, a practice, yeah. Yeah. They don't want to give him. They were going to. They had, they had the money there. They just didn't. The you see, that put a kind of dent in their, in their process. Because all this money, they, they didn't, they didn't intend to give out all that money at any particular time. Well, banks here are pretty good with it. Banks in the States are terrible. Yeah. They really yeah. are. You can, if you go to a bank and cash 10000 you can get it right, right away. But not. Any big problem. Mm -hmm. In the States? Yeah, they give you three or four thousand, you gotta come back the next Yeah, they week. give you the run around. Yeah, they got it ordered. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what this, this verse is telling us that we need to be careful about borrowing money without thinking about the ability to repay it. Because a lot of people do that. And the banks don't, 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 uh, they don't check. All they want to do is to make sure that they get their, their, their interest on it. Because, you know, that's what they get first, the interest. And so here's the difference. Uh, a loan we can afford is enabling. A loan that we can afford is enabling. A loan we can't afford is enslaving. And that's what the proverb is getting out here when he talks about the, the, the borrower being servant to the lender. If you can't afford it, you are being enslaved. And so the borrower must carefully understand that he is a servant to the individual or institution that he is borrowing that money from until that loan is repaid. In other words, the bank calls the shops until you pay them their money. And that's what the, the, this proverb is warning us against. Many people don't think about it like that. Verse 8. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster, and their reign of terror will come to an end. Okay, we have a lot of people like this in our land today. Uh, I remember the police commissioner was saying one time, we cannot permit one little group of people to terrorize a whole country. And this is, a, is, is alluding to that. Those who plant injustice will have disaster. Absolutely nothing significant or meaningful is gained by a person who plants injustice. Uh, they may have to, they may, it may seem as if they have a broad reach because they, they, they wreak havoc and terror. Any angry attempts to beat others into obedience will be frustrated. And uh, we see that happening. The law is making sure uh, the police commissioner and his crime plan is making sure that the attempts to beat or to terrorize citizens of the country are frustrated. Um, I see uh, they have these roadblocks a lot now, and uh, sometimes you drive in and you see traffic all backed up. And this happened just this morning. We were coming and the traffic was all backed up, and we ended up in the middle of an intersection. And we wonder what's going on. And when we actually got around, there was a police car uh, had stopped somebody for whatever reason, uh, but you know, they are continuing to do that. And, uh, and so we, are, we are, ought to be encouraged by that when we see it, because it is happening. 
Verse 9. He who has those who are generous because they feed the poor. Okay, blessed are the generous. Because remember now, the Bible reminds us that those who give to the poor lend to the Lord. And God, we looked at this verse earlier, and that God's dividends are huge. And this is another reminder of that. Generous people are blessed by showing generosity to others. They gain, uh, they gain present happiness and future reward by sharing their substance with the poor. And so in other words, what we do in terms of being generous to the poor goes well beyond this life. The rewards are well beyond this life. We're not, we're not going to see the rewards now. The rewards are going to come later. And so we need to keep that in mind uh, when we give to the poor because God is no man's debtor. And if when we give, we lend to the Lord, you definitely need to understand that God will pay you back. And He doesn't pay like banks pay interest. He pays huge interest rates, dividends. Verse 10. Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. So what do we do with the marker? According to this verse. Throw him out! Kick him out! I remember we were at, um, we visited um, Pacific Garden Mission one time when we were doing a ministry in, in Jacksonville. We were modeling out the ministry in Jacksonville similar to a Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. And so we took a trip up there one time and uh, we went uh, to the main uh, place downtown and they had uh, a basement where they took these guys in and they fed them and uh, and then they had this choir. Man, could you have heard 300 men singing? Tremendous! Uh, well, they took these guys in, they fed them and they, they, they clothed them and they had medical care and dental care and all kinds of stuff. And then they had an institute, a Bible institute where they trained them. But they took no nonsense. And while we were there, we heard this scuffle in the back of the room. And uh, this is the middle of the, the service. And afterwards, uh, we were you know, we were watching uh, we were watching them do a recording of the Unshackled program. Anybody heard Unshackled? Right. Well, we heard we were there while they were recording. They were doing a live recording of one of the Unshackled programs. And there was this scuffle in the back of the room. And uh, we were able to just glimpse what was going on. And these big, these guys looked like bouncers. I mean, they had this guy, they go, two of them grabbed this guy and they tossed him out the door. I said, whoa, what's going on here? And afterwards we went and we found out that uh, there was this guy that came in and he was unruly and he's really, you know, carrying on bad. And they just took him and they, like the verse said, they threw him out. <laughs> they just tossed him in. And that time we were there, it was snowing. It was really cold. We left a bottle of soda in the car. And when we came out, the bottle of soda was frozen. That's how cold it was. I had to go and buy air muffs to put on my ears because my air felt like it was on fire. I never experienced like that. I'm a tropical bird. Never experienced anything like that. We were there for, I think, two or three days. I thought I was going to die. But they threw this guy right out. And this is what, what the, the verse says. Throw the marker out. Just kick him out. Okay? And all the fighting will go away. And that's exactly what happened. When they threw this guy out the door, everything calmed down. They just got rid of him. They will help you. They'll do whatever they can. And the verse says, throw the marker out, kick him out. And all the fighting goes out. The quarrels and insults, all of that will disappear. Eviction is the only step for the scoffer. Pastor Randy, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was there for seven years. Okay, so you know. 
Many people they're rough. Man, you've never experienced anything. But of course, when you are 20, you almost do anything. Mm. But it was very, very rough. You leave a bottle of soda in the car, and within minutes, yeah. frozen. Frozen, yep. Mm -hmm. And we were in a little Volkswagen rabbit. Boy, that was a journey. And so eviction is the only next step for a scoffer. You can't do anything with a scoffer but evict him. Just throw him out. Uh, because they refuse instruction, they refuse to respond to instruction and correction and caution. That those things don't mean anything to them. They're foreign. And so the, the, the psalmist says, uh, um, Solomon says, throw them out. When you do all of the contention and all the quarreling and abuse and everything will stop. Uh, when Ishmael was put out of the house, uh, we see this uh, abuse stopped also in in, um, in Genesis 21. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 9 to 10, uh, we read, But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son. He was mocking Isaac. Verse 10 says, So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. In other words, throw him out. Get rid of him. He was going to share the inheritance with her son. He's not going to share the inheritance. That mocker, that scoffer, that rude little boy. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son. I won't have it. Is what she said. And so we do the same thing with the, with the mocker and the scoffer. Get rid of him and all, everything will calm down. And sometimes people will say, boy, it's not Christian to do that. Oh yeah? We'll continue to deal with the havoc and the chaos that they create. I think when, it, when she reached to that point, she saw the danger that Shmuel was still caught. So I said, <laughs> so, now it's a good excuse to tell him, get rid of him. Mm -hmm. she, she said, get rid of him. Yeah, rid of that rude little boy. Yeah. Verse 11. He who loves purity of heart, and who speech is gracious, will have the king as his friend. Okay, so anyone who loves purity of heart, who desires to have a pure heart, who cherishes it, and whose communication is gracious, will enjoy good friendships, majestic friendships, uh, that others only long for and look on and crave for. And uh, the, the person that is mentioned here is, the, is God, is, is, is the king that is mentioned here. And who wouldn't want to be a friend of God? You couldn't have a better friend. Verse 12. He also deserves those with knowledge, but he ruins the plans of the treacherous. And so despite the furious efforts of men and demons, demons are alive and well in our world today. And they are influencing a lot of activity that is going on in our land behind the scenes. And so despite the furious efforts of men and demons, the Lord preserves and perpetuates knowledge of the truth so that it will never ever die from the earth. God continually does that. He preserves knowledge and He perpetuates it. Uh, but there's a lot of opposition to it going on behind the scenes. If we were able to see into the spiritual realm and see the havoc that evil, wicked spiritual forces are wreaking, probably some of us will drop down with a heart attack. 
because there's a lot of wickedness going on in the unseen world and God continues to preserve and to keep and to keep things stable only God is able to do that he does this by repeatedly overthrowing false teachings and exposing lies you know if God had, would, didn't do this there would be a whole lot and you talk about false teachings now there'd be a whole lot more than would be seen now if God was not preserving and controlling things. God is constantly overthrowing false teachings and false teachers and exposing a lot of lies uh, in our world today. And so we need to keep that in mind. Now we're going to stop there because our time is gone. Uh, but I believe uh, God has given us much food for thought this morning. Amen? Amen.